Today on Refried Reviews, I told you the Millennium Falcon was basically a hot rod. Welcome back to Refried Reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And uh, yeah, today we uh, we have dove into the alternate uh, the alternate future of George Lucas, where he's uh, he's just a brilliant little Rich, Richard Linklater esque uh, auteur director. Um, <laughs> he really almost was, and then he fucking wasn't because he made billions and billions of dollars with spacemen. I mean, that was the first thing I thought when we when I started the movie was just seeing that one card with Lucas and Coppola's name on it. Yeah, and just like they were young upstarts who were rejected by every other studio. Yeah, like when. Well, this was made <laughs> well lucas uh he wrote the script by the way we're talking about the movie american graffiti everybody ah, well done um <laughs> yeah uh 1972 i believe um film it was the second film that george lucas made after thx 1138 um and uh sorry 1973 is the year the film came out i think it was based on 62 yeah, it was based on 1962, um, and George Lucas's own past um, as like a hot rodding car guy in <laughs> uh, in sort of s- semi rural California. Um, it's set in Modesto. I don't know if he grew up in Modesto, but he definitely grew up in. Basically, this was George Lucas's past. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, each character in the movie was based on a different sort of facet of him. Oh, really? Um, yeah, Kurt Richard Dreyfus's character is basically George Lucas at USC. Um, and, uh, Milner is George Lucas in high school. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. He was like, he was like a working on the, working in the garage hot rod guy. Hmm. Um, and, uh, Steve is George Lucas if he was a huge dick. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, to your point, um, yeah, Coppola and Lucas went to USC together and then, uh, Lucas wrote this script with, uh, with two other, uh, people and um, they shopped it around and shopped it around and shopped it around, and they couldn't get anywhere to bite on it. And then Universal agreed uh, if Coppola would produce it, because Coppola had just made a little film called The Godfather uh-huh. that had made them a decent amount of money, so he could put together the $777,777.77. That is the actual budget of this movie. Is it really? Yes. And it, it came in exactly on budget. Wow. Um, yeah, they just, you know, they had a couple hundred left, and they bought, a, bought an eight ball or something. Right, right. I was going to say, get me a stick of gum. We got to yeah. even it out. <laughs> um, yeah, and then, uh, yeah, it came in on time and on budget and also this was a fucking huge hit uh-huh this movie was enormous well that was also interesting to see that like star wars wasn't even the first time that you know he spent a tiny amount and the payoff was enormous yeah i mean it makes way more sense that they would let this guy go out to the deserts of tunisia with some robots <laughs> like because when you think about it like star wars on the face of it that's a bit of a gamble like that's mm-hmm. a weird fucking movie to make um of course, now it's Star Wars, so good call, guys. But um, yeah, this this movie gave him the credibility he needed to make it. Um, so I'm sure we'll dive into the the, the history of it uh, more as we go. But um, yeah, how when did you first see American Graffiti? So I was thinking about it, and this is probably like 
high school era, just catching up mm. on a lot of older movies. Just like going through like the canon, basically. Yeah, and uh, to be honest, I hadn't seen it in a long time, and it kind of blurred with a lot of the John Hughes movies that I haven't seen in a long time. Like, yeah. Just sort of, you know... There's a like, lot about this movie I didn't remember. Yeah, yeah, like ragtag group of friends, they were all sort of blending together which trope was from which movie and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. So I, I remembered it, but only sort of a general yeah. gist. Yeah, uh, same for me. I saw it in college, I believe, or like in my early twenties, and because I had always heard about it, and you know, it's it's one of those things that everybody kind of talks about, but it's been supplanted in our culture. Um, this by other movies of its type. I mean, this is basically Dazed and Confused, right? And now everybody our age, we watch Dazed and Confused, and that's the movie that we feel like really connected to. I am gonna make the argument this movie out Dazed and Confused, Dazed and Confused. <laughs> That I've I've seen it before, but I I didn't um, like fetishize Days and Confused and watch it a bunch in college oh, really? or anything like that. So I'm actually not that familiar with it. Oh man, really? Yeah, huh. that's interesting. <laughs> um, the, I was trying to think of sort of the last thing that was really similar in in you know modern movies to this, and I mean I'm sure there's. This is not necessarily my demographic yeah. movie. I mean, the anymore. one crazy night movie is a genre now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but Super Bad was one that jumped to mind. That yeah. sort of wasn't it like the the graduation night. It was like a similar milestone combined with them doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, trying yeah. to get booze for a woman. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> witnessing crimes. <laughs> <laughs> antagonist cops yeah yes i mean the cops in this movie aren't that bad like they're they're just trying to catch a speeder and then richard Dreyfus <laughs> tears the back axle off their car yeah that scene in the beginning of them being kind of dicks to john when like he is you know a guilty street racer yeah but they're sort of oh you mean when they when that one guy pulls him over and gives him the ticket yeah yeah like i want to catch you in the act and then you see how many tickets he has like yeah it's i mean he's a, he's a traffic cop like it is explicitly his job to prevent this kind of thing and he and uh, the character john was involved in a near fatal car crash at the end of the movie yes or, you know indirectly yeah 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 he, he definitely <laughs> he had some responsibility to bear there but just sort of watching that it was like oh this does feel like we have to make the audience root against the cops somehow yeah because because Milner's man, Milner's an interesting guy. I I like that character a lot. He, uh, well, 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 yeah. Let's. I guess let's get get into it. Um, what was your background with it? Oh, um, yeah. I saw it in my early twenties, and um, just it, it blurred together with so many other things, like you said. And I, 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 I oh, well, I just completely lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I just feel like it's. Like I said, it's been supplanted in our culture by so many other movies of its type, and we we lose it at our peril because I really want to know how much of a straight line can be drawn between like this and movies like Ferris Bueller or uh, or Pretty in Pink or uh, maybe Sixteen Candles would be a better example mm-hmm. um, or Dazed and Confused uh, or Superbad. Like, are we all riding this movie's coattails? Because I think this might be the first like one crazy night with a bunch of teenagers movie really and it's so spoiler alert like i fucking love this movie <laughs> i thought it was just electric well one of my first notes here is like oh a, a doofus getting pantsed like <laughs> was this inventing the cliche or was it using the cliche like, yeah i don't know i think I, I think part of what lucas wanted to do was uh portray as accurately as possible his own like right, youth. right. so yeah he probably was the doofus at some point <laughs> getting pantsed um 
Yeah, so basically, the way this movie works is, uh, you know, it's a lot like Dazed and Confused. Like you're, th- that, I'm going to say that a lot, guys. <laughs> um, in that we are following a group of high school kids um, on sort of the last day of summer before they... Some of them are going to college. Some of them, I believe, are still in school mm-hmm. um, and are trying to figure out... Uh, and, and they're all about to go back to school. And uh, we kind of just follow them on this one night as we separate into basically, I think, four stories... Um, and the four stories are, uh, the story of Steve and Lori, who are the former class president and head cheerleader. Um, and Steve is supposed to be going away to college and, uh, is dealing with the fact that he thinks that they should see other people while, while he's away. Mm -hmm. Um, Steve is played by Ron Howard in (laughs) what may have been a bit of miscasting because Steve (laughs) is a fucking douchebag he is yes he's the fucking worst <laughs> played by the impossible not to recognize ron howard <laughs> yes <laughs> um the impossibly nice ron howard yeah. like this wholesome wonderful dude is just like yeah you know i really want to get some strange while i'm on the east coast <laughs> um and then we follow his best friend kurt played by richard dreyfus who is also supposed to go off to college and isn't sure he wants to go uh he's thinking he might want to stay in modesto um and go to junior college for a couple years and then figure out what he wants to do with his life instead of getting out there um he ends up accidentally joining a gang um, <laughs> becomes a pharaoh yeah and then meets wolfman jack played by wolfman jack um that was an actual like 1962 radio personality yeah i looked it up on, uh, on imdb and yeah i did notice that <laughs> yeah which uh, i guess uh george lucas used to listen to wolfman jack when he was that age oh and nice he just called him and was like i want you in the movie um and wolfman jack's awesome just eating popsicles <laughs> weird yeah uh, um then we follow uh as sort of the the night starts Lori and steve go to uh their back the school's back to school sock hop um <laughs> awesome and uh the they- greaser character john unironically like you guys are going to the sock hop yeah <laughs> just bizarre to hear yeah it's it was a thing i guess so Steve gives the keys to his car since he's going to ride with Lori to uh, the third sort of of, of the four char- m- sort of main characters we're going to follow, a little guy named Toad, um, <laughs> who uh, picks up a girl um, under false pretenses um, <laughs> and uh, spends the whole night building himself up and lying to her and then inevitably loses the car. Um, and then the fourth story is John Milner. Um, who is basically just cruising around, uh, pulls up next to a car full of girls and says, hey, why don't you guys get in here? And then a 13-year-old Mackenzie Phillips gets in his car <laughs> and basically just torments him for about an hour. <laughs> um, yeah. So Carol was her name? Carol was her name, yeah. yeah. <laughs> nice. L- little, teenage, little teenage Carol. Um, I like her a lot. She's real fun. Um, there's not a whole lot to all these plots like this isn't like you know a lot of the movies we we usually cover in here we can go this happened then this happened then this happened i don't feel like this movie like lends itself that well to that mm-hmm. um i mean we can definitely go through it like we do because we got to structure this thing somehow people <laughs> but um it's pretty light on plot and big on moments um yeah so i They're guess sort of like intertwined vignettes yeah. more than it's a single narrative yeah yeah i <laughs> mean they till the end yeah they all come together at the end um and we'll 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 get to that at the end. Um, <laughs> it feels almost like maybe it could have had to do with structuring modern sitcoms and things like that. The yeah. way they're sort of the separate A and B plots and mm-hmm. keeping your characters arranged yeah. and then knocking them together. Well, I was I was reading actually that um, th- when they were cutting this, the first cut was three and a half hours long, and there were like whole <laughs> other stories that had to get cut. Oh wow! Originally, 
I guess, um, and I'm really glad he didn't do this, but originally Lucas wanted to cut it as like A, B, C, D, basically. Like we were going to follow one story, follow the next one, and then follow the next one, and then follow the next one. And I think that would have been a huge mistake. Uh, As do I. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Because the cutting, like as soon as you're even remotely bored with one story, um, you're on to the next thing, and you're like, wow, this is great. And there's just, there's... Yeah, it's 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 real real good, and he just he captures these wonderful just joy, joyous moments. Like this movie is just dripping with electricity and energy and joy. Mm-hmm. Like very specifically electricity because I uh, the like the way electric light is like shot in this movie um, is really like he's he's deliberately putting that sort of thing in the frame to kind of just just jolt you. Mm-hmm. Like there's a great scene while uh, uh, Milner is driving around with Carol. Um, some another car full of girls pulls up next to Milner and says, "You got a bitch in car," and then throws a water balloon um into his car where it hits Carol. Apparently, it was scripted to just hit the window and splash her, but it, and she was supposed to get angry, but she reacted by laughing when it hit her directly, and they kept the take mm-hmm. because of just the joy of it. <laughs> and then they get out. Uh, they they catch the car at the next light, and Milner's like, "Hey, let's hop out and uh, you know mess with them." So they get out, and Carol sprays shaving cream all over all their windows. And, Young vandals. Yeah, and Milner lets the air out of their tires, but there's this big ass spotlight right behind them while they're doing it, <laughs> um, and it just backlights it, makes it look all weird, and like we're following around handheld while uh while you know 50s rock and roll music plays and it's just like it's just a hoot holler amazing blah sort of thing <laughs> i don't even know i don't have words for it it's just so joyous well it does feel executed as someone like the the fun time in my youth yeah like yeah. making it emotionally trying to shoot it that way of what yeah. it felt like <laughs> yeah but it's still like even in that moment, like it, it feels a little bit out of control. Like this doesn't feel like later portrayals of the fifties, because mm-hmm. the fifties is such a safe time. Like in terms of how we portray it now. I mean, the fifty. I mean, you know, think about Back to the Future, and it's yeah. just like you know, we're all just you know having some fun, and maybe I'll sip a little liquor, but it'll be fine. <laughs> and this is dangerous. What these kids are doing, uh-huh. like these kids are not safe. Um, and like doing things like, you know, running around with a handheld camera, uh, during this act of vandalism on a car makes it feel unsafe, Mm -hmm. um, and makes it feel kind of weird and twilighty. And like, it's just, it's, this is the dangerous fifties. Um, and you know, it feels a lot more authentic to what it's like to be a teenager than say, you know, fucking happy days or whatever. Yeah. I would say that it is probably like the exaggerated version of reality is probably closer to reality than the sanitized version that's often in movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess to go through it, um, you know, it starts with these uh, kids meeting up and we kind of establish what we talked about about their characters. And then they all kind of go their separate ways. Uh, first, we we follow, and I don't remember the order in which these intercut, so right. we'll kind of just go through. I think we'll just go through each one in turn um, and then kind of talk about the end, if that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it would have been a mistake to put them end to end, like you said, yeah. partially because they don't interact that much. No. So it really would have felt like just watching one really long narrative. <laughs> yeah, it would have it would have felt like an anthology movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I don't I don't really want to watch anthology movies that aren't horror anthology <laughs> movies. Like that's uh, that's scary stories really work that way. Um, but I don't think like I don't I don't want to watch like four romances in a row. <laughs> the occasional anthology of interest. But yeah, that's it. Yeah. Also, the anthologies of interest, thanks Futurama, do work. Um, but that's only, you know, it's like three little 10-minute stories. It's fine. Um, yeah, so 
Uh, Lori and Steve go to the sock hop, and he has dropped the bomb on her that he wants to fuck around, basically, in college. And he's being a real prick about it. <laughs> um, in, in, in the way that, like, maybe he's even more of a prick because he's Ron Howard, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> um, but they get to the sock hop, and uh, the, the band announces, I think they call it the pillow dance. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, is the way it's supposed to work, and I read this later, um, is like, it's like a almost a cellular mitosis thing. Like the couple <laughs> that starts it starts dancing and no one else is dancing. And then they split up and pick two new partners and then there's four people dancing. And then after a while, those people split up and you keep doing that until the whole room's dancing. Huh. And that's the idea behind it. And that's an actual thing people did because the 50s, they didn't have the internet guys. They had to make their own fun. <laughs> Um, so what happens is they start this dance and the two of them are having this real heated argument in front of everyone and in, in a real nice little moment of comedy. I enjoyed that a lot. Um, and the reason everybody is staring at them expectantly, it's not like, Hey, let's watch these people dances. They're supposed to be starting the thing. Ah, uh, and they're not. I see. Yeah. And so it's awkward and weird for everybody because everybody can kind of tell what's happening. <laughs> um, yeah, it's uh, it's a whole lot of fun. Also, I didn't mention this, but I really like that the movie starts with like old old movie style cards. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's I don't remember if they were still doing that at that time, but like it feels the way the cards are arranged, um, it just feels very like old Hollywood <laughs> throwbacky. Yeah, considering the crazy you know uh, run around indie film Smash Mouth thing that follows, um, <laughs> it's uh, it's cool. Um, yeah, so. It's uh, so from from there. Um, well, I, I don't remember go, go if we touched upon. Uh, there is some sort of. I noted that it was Goodwill Hunting, sort of like blue collar guilt about college. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of that going on. Um, there's there's definitely like a class thing, especially with the way like Milner treats um, the college bound kids because Milner's not going to go to college. Right, right. Like he's going to work in that garage for the rest of his life. Sort of that whole intro scene of setting up the um, like Kurt got the scholarship but isn't sure if he's going to go. Yeah, I feel like that is sort of um, it's something that occurs to me as very American Pie or Porky's or whatever. Yeah. Like just sort of introducing the four main dudes before they split off and yeah. you sort of learn the rest of the world. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, sort of like, here of is your cast. Yeah. <laughs> All right, kids, go! Um, yeah. So from the sock hop, um, I guess we don't see uh, Steve and Laurie again for a long time. But the next time we see them, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're, uh, they've been driving around and uh, they're just kind of continuing to have the same fight. It's just kind of going back and forth and back and forth. There's not a lot to their story. Right. Um, until later, they've parked um, like you do. And they're starting to fuck around, and this this fucking dickhole, <laughs> um, he makes a move on Lori, and she's like, I don't really want to, and he's like, but I need to remember you, because uh-huh. um, he wants to fuck her. <laughs> And um, he's trying to, like, get up on there. And then, like, I guess she's... It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> this isn't even the first time rape comes up in this movie. Um, it's a pretty rapey movie. It is. Um, this is, like, the third, I think. But, um, <laughs> yeah, he's, he's like, getting on top of her. And, you know, they, she, she's, they're making out and stuff. And finally he stops. And he's like, well, if you're just going to lay there, it's not interesting. And she's like, well, you, this is what you wanted from me, right? Why don't you just take it? And he's like, not like that. And I'm like, ugh. <laughs> You're, uh, you're so gross, dude. Yeah, there are a lot of layers of manipulation he's trying. <laughs> yeah, and then he says uh, something like, um, 
I don't know why you do that, especially after all that stuff you told me about you and your brother. <laughs> do you remember that? I do, yes. Yeah, and then she kicks him out of the car and says, I told you never to talk about that again, <laughs> which, what the, wow, we're not even going <laughs> to touch that shit? Like, that's, that's, it's a, it, it's a fucked up movie. Yeah, yeah, it feels like it could be implying something pretty dark, or you never know if it's like, uh, just it literally is memories from their past as they're writing it. Yeah. Like, throwing in things like that that make it feel genuine. Yeah. Because they're talking about real things, but then just tweak or never reveal what they're actually about. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's it's probably real dark. Yeah, it's, ooh, something happened to somebody, guys. <laughs> um, so she uh, drives off and then runs into um, Harrison Ford. Yeah. Who's in this. Um, dr- something Falfa? Or yeah, Bob Falfa. Bob Falfa. Yeah. Just a great name, <laughs> um, and he's driving around, and he's uh, he ends up picking Lori up uh, to drive around, uh, and I guess he's been driving around looking for John Milner. And she doesn't have a lot of great men in her life. No, she doesn't. Um, she she lacks strong male role models. Um, yeah, she he's been driving around looking for John Milner because John Milner uh, is known as the guy with the best car in the valley, mm-hmm. um, and everybody wants to race him. And there's something very like old gunslinger about john milner Mm -hmm. did you get that vibe well even just the the whole construct of how upset he is um i mean i guess i'm jumping way to the end of the movie yeah but like the idea that someone beats him yeah like even at the end of the movie when in theory maybe people have grown yeah it still seems like it's it's very much like what do you mean his dick's bigger than mine yeah well it's it, at the end so so we'll 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 jump around it's fine this this movie's that kind of movie yeah so the whole thing ends with this drag race between falfa and milner and uh falfa ends up losing control of his car and flipping it around with lori inside and no seatbelts. like i was because <laughs> i didn't remember if they lived and i was shocked when they got out of that car yeah um, and it was five minutes after she said uh, she asked to get out <laughs> yeah yeah like it seemed like uh it seemed like they weren't gonna make it but yeah, Lori lives. Um, and then she and Steve reunite. He decides he's not going to go to college after all and stick around. And at this point, like, she's been such a, a horrible person to Falfa, who's not a great guy. But, like, <laughs> she's making terrible decisions. And, um, you know, like, getting in this strange dude's car and driving around. And then, like, getting in his that car. That seemed to and- be the culture. <laughs> Yeah, that did seem to be the culture. That's true. Um, but she gets into this guy's car and then just sits there in silence. Which right? What, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like you don't what? I don't. I mean, it's not even like good or bad. It's just inexplicable. Like, <laughs> it's rude to the driver. Yeah, and it's. I mean, I'm not gonna try and put a value statement on it. It's just like what? Like what? Why are you acting the way you're acting right now? Um, and then you know she lashes out, and then she runs back to to Steve, and I'm like, you know what? You two kind of deserve each other. Like. She's not able to see that she could, you know, do better than this horrible man. <laughs> and uh, he's a horrible man. <laughs> so you know what, guys? At least you can't inflict yourselves upon anyone else. I feel like the the impetus for so much happening is probably, you know, that it's a bunch of stories and a whole summer condensed down into one night in movie form. Yeah. But I, I did sort of enjoy taking the movie a little bit as what that era of your life is like where you have two characters that know what they want to do for the rest of their lives. And then one night later they have swapped 
Yeah. Like yeah. just sort of that everything is that volatile. It's really charged. Years. And that actually that what you just said helps me understand Stephen Laurie's story a little bit better because like everything is so heightened when you're that age. And like mm-hmm. your girlfriend that you're with at seventeen is the one you're gonna be with for the rest of your life. I mean, I had a girlfriend at seventeen and I definitely thought like this is it. I figured it out, guys. Yeah, yeah. Like, no, you didn't. Um, <laughs> no, you didn't. You you also didn't at 18 or 19 <laughs> or 22. Um, if you saw one almost die, you might think, you know, we'd better do this. Yeah. Um, yeah, because he, that, that basically she runs into, into Steve's arms and uh, says, you know, please, please don't leave me. Please don't leave me. After he tried to rape her. <laughs> yeah. Like, ugh. No, man. <laughs> Stop it. Have, have some respect for yourself, Lori. Come on. Um, um, I mean, you know, I don't want to minimize, you know, I don't want to be all victim blamey or anything, but like, you know, these aren't real people. They're fictional characters. I can say what I want about them. Um, I know that like that scene does go awry and into rapey territory, but yeah. in the first half where he's like kind of making the move. Yeah. I feel like that's a harder thing to film these days. Like, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not a writer, so I couldn't really say, but just that it feels like that's probably trickier to do than just like a villainous rape on Game of Thrones or something like that. The the like, yes that turns into a no gradually. Yeah. Or even it wasn't even a no. It was like a resentful yes. <laughs> yes. Like and I don't know, did you I'll get the feeling here? Yeah. Did you get the feeling they had had sex before? I mean, it sort of it seemed to imply not. Yeah, it kind of seemed like that was like going to be their first time doing that and Wow. Um, <laughs> and this was a PG movie, despite uh, the number of times they say snatch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone at uh, Universal knew what snatch meant. Oh, really? <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I can see that. Yeah, I bet they just kind of, you know, got, got away with it that way. <laughs> um, but anyway, what I was going to say about Milner at the end, like the feeling I got wasn't like same old Milner being mad someone beat him. It was, I got the feeling he realized that eventually someone would. And, like, it was sort of this kid coming to terms with the fact that this wasn't going to be forever. Hmm. Um, like, he wasn't just going to be cruising around with his badass car. Like, someday he was not going to have the fastest car. And someday he was going to get, you know, fat and old and gross. And someday <laughs> he was going to be the guy who died in the crash. And that was, I think that's where his anger comes from. It's like, maybe this guy didn't beat me, but, like, how many more times do I get lucky? Right. You know? And that's... That's terrifying when you're 17. Mm-hmm. Like I, I feel for that. I think John Milner might be like the only like good person in this movie, <laughs> even though he does threaten to rape someone. But he does, his, He wasn't his really. Seems like more of a plan. Yeah, he wasn't actually going to do anything to Carol. <laughs> he was just trying to get her to tell him where where she lives so he could get this 13 year old girl out of his car. <laughs> like, I mean, even that plot line felt a little bit like something that is genuine life experience like weird things happen when hormones are in play and there are just sort of non-clean lines of like it's not a romantic relationship but there's stuff going on yeah that i feel like movies tend to shy away from these days for fear of it coming off because i mean you know like 17 you know he's 17 she's probably 14 like Mm -hmm. that's only three years difference you know, if you if you're if and I'm not saying it that makes it, you know, necessarily okay, but like I get it, you know. Mm-hmm. If you're thirty seven and you're dating someone that's thirty four, <laughs> no one's gonna look at you weird about it. Right. It just happens that like everybody's going through such rapid, weird maturing at that time that like, you know, lines like boundaries are really important at that point mm-hmm. in your life. But like of course it's gonna get messy and weird because sex is messy and weird. Yeah. And you know, she's got a huge crush on him. I don't get the feeling that he ever has any romantic feelings towards Carol. Mm-hmm. So I guess to, to recap the plot of this uh, this plot line, basically, um, like we said, Carol gets in Milner's car 
and then they just kind of drive around for a while and that's pretty much it um, she gets out for a little bit for she a second. does <laughs> yeah um because they go to get a burger and uh like he clearly doesn't want her in there and she's just saying like i won't leave um if you make me leave i'm gonna tell everyone you tried to rape me <laughs> yeah um including the police <laughs> including the police like that's that's you know way to way to Way, way to use your femininity as, as power, I guess, Carol. Um, <laughs> Lady extortion. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, then later they're going to get a burger, and uh, he tells someone that Carol is his cousin, and uh, then they get into a shouting match, and he tells her she needs to grow up. And, like, the worst thing that he can do to her is clearly infantilize her, because mm-hmm. she wants to be a grown-up. Like, she's at that age where she wants to be one of the cool teenagers, and she's just getting out of, like, princess dolls and stuff like that. She's probably, you know, put that shit down, like, two years ago. This was probably, like, the first time she could go out with the girls in the car. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And she, you know, of course, she makes a decision to hop into this car <laughs> um, with this dude because she wants an adventure. And she's hungry for, like, life experience and stuff. Um, and he clearly is hungry for some attention. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Pulling up to random cars. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk for a second about, like, how cars are represented in this movie. Because... Like, over half of the movie is spent inside cars. Mm-hmm. Um, pr- like, probably way more than that. Um, I mean, Milner I, I, is like 75% of the movie is behind the wheel, isn't he? Like, yeah. It's weird when he gets back out. <laughs> yeah, like, him standing up feels odd. Um, like, that 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 uh, hot rod of his is a part of him, and that hot rod is fucking bitching. Yeah. Like, with the exposed engine. I don't know what he does when it rains, but... Um, it's uh, presumably in the trunk. He's got like a cover or something. I don't know. Right. I don't it know. It runs so hot. It just evaporates off Maybe. as it hits it. <laughs> oh, man. It's a, it's real, real cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, what did you think of how cars are portrayed? Like, what do you think they, like, I'm going to ask you a real, like, fucking English class question. But like, what do you think they symbolize? Mm-hmm. I mean, freedom certainly is, like, yeah. I think the historical answer and probably what's trying to be represented uh, in the movie. And, like, the, the yeah. cruising culture is something that, like, my, my dad grew up uh, in the Valley in L.A. Yeah. And, like, he's he's told me about cruising culture and what, what it used to be like to go down to Sunset on a Friday night. Yeah. And just spend, like, 40 minutes working from one side to the other because it's just cars slowly cruising yeah. by and people switching cars and stuff. Wow. And... I I have experienced nothing like that. Like even them yelling at each other from cars. Yeah, I don't recall that from any part of my. Did childhood, you ever like really. drive around with your friends when you were in, when you were that a teenager? I remember like when you know when someone got a license and that was exciting to just go on whatever kind of excursion. Yeah. Um. Like I mean, you you grew up in a smaller town than I did. Was there more of a semblance of that? Like sort of go out in the town and see people and. Um. You would run into people. I think like cooler kids than me were doing more of that than mm-hmm. I was. Um. I remember hearing. I I remember hearing about a place called the Pit more than once. That like I didn't know where it was. But uh-huh. There was some pit, and like. <laughs> Uh, um, I think I, I heard about like one time I remember we were driving around with some friends and, uh, when I was like 15 and, uh, we heard that one kid was going to fight another kid at the pit uh-huh. and then, um, I ended up having to go home and everybody else went to the pit to watch this fight. Um, I don't think you have to worry about like a deathbed regret cause that's a terrible name. <laughs> the pit doesn't sound like a fun place to hang out. <laughs> no, it does not. I mean, you know, we, 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 we had to make our own fun. We were in, we were out in Louisiana, you know, just trying to figure it out. And sometimes you just go to a pit. Um, I mean, it's a really flat place. At least it's just a change in the vertical gradation. It's a way to not see miles out. Yeah. Like a, a pit. You got two slopes, man. Like that's incredible. Um, but yeah, like I, I, I remember like 
whenever my first friends started getting licenses, like it wasn't a car wasn't of transport. It was like a little apartment, uh-huh. you know, and you just drive around. You'd listen to, unfortunately, that's a 311 um, when I was in high school. <laughs> yeah. My, South Louisiana continues to have the most inexplicable, huge boner for 311. Really? I don't understand it. Like huh. they're more popular in South Louisiana than they are anywhere else in the world. <laughs> I don't know, man. Um, it's 311 and Sublime. <laughs> well, I mean, like, I I was born far after sort of the, the drive-in food mm-hmm. culture, but going out with friends and just getting shitty fast food and eating in the car was totally still a thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, the the and sometimes you'd go out and you'd maybe see someone somewhere, but that was usually just a coincidence because it wasn't that big of a town. Right. Um, you usually didn't see people beyond. I mean, you'd call people and, like, meet up places, but there certainly was not, like, a main drag where you just, like, saw everybody on the street. There wasn't courting someone you barely knew to get in the car? No, no, which... Yeah, it, it feels very predatory, doesn't it? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, because um, basically what they do is they, they'll see a girl on the street. Like, this is uh, what Toad does once he has the Bel Air that, uh, that Steve's driving around in. He sees a girl on the street, and he just shouts stuff at her. Until, and then finally he tells her she looks like Connie Stevens. And uh, <laughs> she decides to come over and talk to him and then really likes his upholstery. So she gets in the car. I mean, maybe everybody was just safer back then. I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah. Certainly like, less fear-mongering. Oh, yeah. But, like, there's something very, like, I don't know, almost, like, nautical about how cars are portrayed in this movie. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a very, like... Sort of a fury road. Like. It's a little bit... Yeah, I'm not joking. Like, uh-huh. someone kind of, on a pole might swing in and take your women. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to make a point here, man. Um, Sorry. It's, no, it's fine. Um, um, yeah, like, there's there's something about that that, like... They 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 were they they seemed like they had their own little pirate ships and mm-hmm. they were gonna cruise around in their pirate ships and then they'd see another ship and like shout over to it and maybe there'd be some exchange of trade and stuff in the form of women. <laughs> um, and Toad's admission that he doesn't have a car is you know like a a big shame moment. Yeah, as it's portrayed, it's super emasculating. Yeah, mm-hmm. like cars equal power in this and like having the best car is having the most power, um, which is why Milner's a legend. But I think. Part of the point of the movie is uh, to like underline the um, the smallness of that in reality, and the way like this little universe of theirs feels so big to them. But then suddenly, Kurt's talking about like I'm going to go to college on the East Coast, and like my world is way bigger. It's what Wolfman Jack says to him. Mm-hmm. Um, like, there's a big old world that the Wolfman tells me about. <laughs> um, Wolfman Jack is weird. Um, <laughs> I'm so glad he exists, though. I'm so glad that was a real dude that, that people allowed to be on the radio. <laughs> I think it would be a good sage to have. Oh, God. If Wolfman Jack was my was my like man on top of the mountain, <laughs> I'd, I'd have left this bullshit behind long ago, JP. <laughs> I wouldn't need this shit that we're doing right now. I'd be running things. Running things! Um... <laughs> That got weird. Um, Hopefully we could still do this, though. Yeah. We can talk about movies in a funny voice. Yeah, sure. Huh? All right. <laughs> what would you do if I just did a Wolfman Jack voice for the rest of the run of this podcast? Probably roll with it for as long as I could. <laughs> and then replace me. <laughs> I used to be able to hold over your head that I own the microphones, but then you got that recorder. Now you could just branch off. Branch off. Ugh, taking the power back. <laughs> microphones and cars, guys got the good recording room yeah <laughs> put up this curtain and everything <laughs> um, 
So yeah, like that's it. It felt very like seafaring, and then they would you know pull into a port, which was a burger restaurant. Uh-huh. Um, and that's that's cool. I don't I don't know how intentional it is, but it it felt that way, and I I really really liked it. And there's definitely like something in common between how what cars are to these people and what cars are to the to the Mad Max universe. Mm-hmm. Like there's something there. Um, and I'm not doing a great job of articulating it, but there's something going on. It certainly felt like the people in cars were like on the main streets having exciting adventures. <clears throat> and when Toad and the girl lose the car, they're like kind of on the back road. Yeah. Like it, it intentionally seems to split them way off. So it does feel like they're kind of adrift far away. Yeah. Yeah. So Toad, his story is he picks up this girl named Debbie who looks like Connie Stevens. He tells her a whole bunch of lies about how the car is his. He hunts a lot and he has a four wheel drive Jeep uh, with a gun rack. <laughs> um, and then she says, why do you shoot little animals? I think that's awful. And he goes, yeah, but I figure with bears, it's, it's me or them. <laughs> um, he does have some great one liners. Yeah. Toad's Toad's pretty great. And uh, then they go and park and have hilariously awkward sex in the car. <laughs> and then I think they go have sex outside the car because it's a little bit more spacious. Uh-huh. Um, and then they then he realizes that the car has been stolen and he has lost Steve's car. And you're right. Like once that happens, like they're never walking down the main drag like we see people doing all the time. Um, they are now walking. <laughs> Too dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> they might get snatched up by pole men. Um, Greaser pole men or one of them or one of them pharaohs um, who are named, by the way, after George Lucas's actual car club, except oh, really? he spelled it F-A-R-O-S. Yeah. There is this cooler. Yeah, absolutely, man. They they ruled Egypt, all of them. <laughs> um, we'll get to the pharaohs in a second, guys. Um, but yeah, when they're walking, you're right. They're they're in back roads until uh, and and <laughs> we don't see them for a while, and then we cut back, and they're just in a parking lot, and uh, and he's puking. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about getting the liquor. I uh-huh. love the sequence. So so Debbie wants Toad to get him to get him to get them some of the hard <laughs> stuff, some brew, um, and he's like, cool. So he does the thing that teenagers did back then before uh, you know fake IDs were a thing. Um, <laughs> he stands outside a liquor store and asks people to buy him uh, to buy him booze, and he asks <laughs> because he lost his ID. Yeah, in a flood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I lost my wife <laughs> too, but her name wasn't ID, and it wasn't in a flood. <laughs> weird in a flood <laughs> yeah the follow-up joke was funny but the in a flood killed yeah, me that was that was pretty spectacular um yeah so finally after some unsuccessful attempts the successful one he gets a guy and he goes yeah yeah you lost your id yeah i'll buy you some liquor <laughs> and it's all this one shot because it's like rule of comedy if you're gonna like pay off a gag don't cut like give me a wide <laughs> Like, just sitting there, and let me watch the funny thing happen. Before they could easily composite shots and stuff, too. Yeah. Um, it's perfect. And he just, it's this big, wide shot of just him. Like, he gives the guy money. The guy goes in. He waits. He waits. He waits. Dude runs out, throws him some liquor, runs away, and then the guy who owns the store comes out and shoots at him. <laughs> and it was it was a perfectly executed little gag. I loved it so, so much. Um, and then they have some liquor. And so, yeah, he gets this girl drunk and he fucks her. Um, and he gets himself drunk too, but I don't think he's ever drank before because there's, he's just, next thing you know, he's in a parking lot puking his guts up and uh, someone's like, I don't think that guy's used to drinking. And Debbie says, oh no, he drinks all the time. He told me. And she's just sort of taking everything this dude says at face value. Do you think Debbie like knows he's full of shit? Yeah, I couldn't tell if, if that was supposed to be sort of... Uh, the young being naive yeah or whether she's a dumb character or yeah. exactly what they were getting at 
Yeah. Because later, when he when she finds out the truth that he doesn't <laughs> Maybe have a car, people were just more honest then. Maybe um, <laughs> it was a, it was a simpler time. Um, yeah, later, whenever uh, she finds out the truth, she's super forgiving. Um, when he when she finds out all he has is a Vespa, she says, "Well, I love motorcycles, and that's almost a motorcycle," uh-huh. <laughs> um, which is great. And she decides she's still into him, even though he's he was a complete liar, like a complete liar. Mm-hmm. Nothing about him was true. Um, yeah, you know, but he's cute, I guess. And she likes intelligent guys, as we learned whenever she uh, told off, uh, whenever she told off that ex. Who I love whenever uh, the, he pokes his head into the car and says, uh, and you know, Toad tries to shoo him off. He says, "How how would you like a knuckle sandwich?" He goes, "No, thanks. I'm waiting on my uh, my, my chili dog." <laughs> like this movie's funny it's real funny yeah there were a lot of a lot of really quick dialogue gags and a lot of sight gags yeah that i thought were really well executed yeah and not in you know that that like funny in the past way that things that used to be funny that ain't funny no more uh-huh. are funny you know what i'm talking about yeah, yeah like this this a lot of the gags like hold up and would play well today mm-hmm. um which impressed me a whole whole lot um but yeah that's that's toad's story um then later he uh he gets to ride along with milner and he's the guy who throws the flag at the drag race at the end <laughs> what an honor yeah um <laughs> and i love how it's and he doesn't throw a, he says i'll flag you but really he just turns a flashlight on and off and the way he does it is you know you gotta stand between the two cars and he like does it and then winces and like scurries <laughs> off um, like a little shrew um, <laughs> I love him. And his poor broken glasses. He has them the next day. Um, so that uh, brings us to the last member of our little crew, Kurt. Um, the fourth story that we follow. And basically, Kurt's gotten a scholarship from the Moose Lodge and uh, <laughs> is going to college. Um, but he's not sure he wants to go. And Steve is sure. Steven's up not going. And this is sort of about Kurt deciding he needs to go. And he, uh, very early on in the movie, sees this blonde and a white T-bird. And he's convinced that she's a vision and he needs to track her down. There was a shot that uh, that Lucas wanted to get at the beginning of that blonde driving uh, away in a drive-thru and uh, becoming transparent to indicate that she doesn't actually exist. Oh, really? I'm really glad it's not in there. Yeah, that would be uh, weird. That's dumb. Um, <laughs> on the nose, George. On the nose. <laughs> Uh, so it's kind of like that National Lampoon's vacation gag. Yeah. But like treated as a real plot point. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, he uh, he's running around trying to find her. He jumps in the car with his ex for, for a little while. Makes out with her for a second because <laughs> women are things in this universe. Um, and then as yeah. we've seen. <laughs> and uh, her ex's, uh, his ex's friend is driving them around and then sees some dude in the next car over. And uh, because he's a dick, she's like, say say something to him. You know him. Say something to him. And uh, he says, I just wanted to tell you that uh, that Irma or whatever her name is in the front is madly in love with you. And she goes all a quiver when she sees your rippling bicep. <laughs> and then she kicks him out of the car. Um, and he's left on the corner. Uh, next thing you know, he's sitting uh, on the hood of a car watching TV in a store window when uh, the pharaohs approach. <laughs> Does watching TV through a window happen anymore? Oh, um, like everyone no. has phones or something. Yeah, no, we've 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 gone beyond that. I think watching TV in a Best Buy happens, um, hmm. but like we don't put TVs in windows anymore. Fair <laughs> enough. They're uh... so the pharaohs come up to him and inform him that he's sitting on their friend's car and uh, that he's scratched it, and now he has to run around with them. And they <laughs> they they were pretty scary. Um, yeah, they were t- intimidating. Yeah, like they they threatened to to drag him behind a car. 
(laughs) Cards are our power. PG was different then. Yeah. Um, So he ends up running around with them, uh, committing a little bit of petty larceny. He uh, attaches a chain to the back of a cop car, and then when they speed by and it tries to go after them, it rips the, the back axle of the car off, which is probably the most famous, like, sight gag of this movie like that's yeah, that's the I moment everybody so. talks about uh, along with uh the line from Mackenzie phillips earlier when she's shouting out the window of milner's car your car is uglier than i am <laughs> at harrison ford um which she's such a little firecracker i love her so much um that's a hard line to deliver to the like that came out wrong or yeah whatever she says oh yeah she when totally she comes back in it. yeah there's a lot of i was reading uh earlier today about the production history of this movie and a lot of this is just take one let's keep going like this was a really difficult production it was shot in 29 days they had to move wow, because that's a lot going on <laughs> yeah um they had to move because after three days of shooting um and i think san pedro they uh, they lost their permit because a bar owner was complaining that them shutting down the street was costing him business. Uh, so then they had to move like 20 miles down the road to finish shooting there. Uh, the guy who played Milner and Harrison Ford were drunk for most of the movie. Really? Um, Richard Dreyfus had a gash in his head from when the guy who played Milner threw him in a pool. Um, <laughs> they basically all just went out of like, and there were also only like 30 crew members. Like, did you look at the credits at the end of this? Like I didn't notice. Nobody on this movie. Really? Yeah, it was a real... Because most of the money just went towards the songs. Um, oh. They had to license all of these. Um, and there wasn't much money to begin with. $777,777.77. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's the, the, they, they just kind of had to make this thing up as they went. And uh, so they would just print take ones over and over and over and get the thing done. Um, and they actually couldn't afford to pay a bunch of the crew... And Lucas offered them credits instead of paying them, which is why before this, uh, it was common practice for only department heads to get a credit. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, that's why, you know, you go watch like an old movie from the 30s and 40s. The only people in the credits, like you don't see like, you know, four electricians on there. It's just sort of this is this was the gaffer. Um, and they ran that department. But he gave these guys credits instead of paying them, and they were totally cool with that, which is one of the reasons that kind of... I don't know if this was the first movie to do that, but this is one of the pioneers of, like, give everybody a credit, and now that's why credits are so long now. Huh. Um, so being above the line used to be really important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Otherwise, you literally were invisible. Wow. Um, yeah, so... They... Uh, of course, it was also easier to fabricate a resume back then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, they like, that's, I think that's part of what leads to that crackling energy of the movie. Um, because they were having to run and gun this thing and just sort of make it up as they went. So they had to be very improvisational. They had to print a lot of take ones and, uh, it makes the thing feel very alive. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I really, really like this movie. Um, yeah, I'm not surprised to hear that, you know, the, the original cut was really long and yeah. that the, you know, sort of the the pacing and arrangement of it changed. That, mm-hmm. I mean, this this does feel like something that was probably shaped with a lot of footage. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, supposedly, this uh, the editing room is also where R2-D2 got his name because um, he asked one, one day, um, Lucas was in the editing room and he asked for real two, day two. <laughs> and he shortened it to R2-D2. That's that's probably apocryphal, but uh, I like the idea of it. Um, <laughs> Did you notice the uh, THX-138? <laughs> yeah, Milner's license plate is THX-138. Um, that license plate is hanging in Lucas's office in uh, Skywalker Ranch. Oh, nice. Yeah, he hasn't forgotten where he came from. Uh-huh. Um, Probably would have been a subtler Easter egg before, <laughs> uh, you know, giant TVs and streaming high def. Yeah. 
It's true. The ability to pause. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, throughout the whole movie, um, everybody's listening to this radio station with Wolfman Jack on it. And everybody loves Wolfman Jack. And I love when, when Kurt's running around with the pharaohs and like they are talking about where he is. Carol is talking to... They cut between Carol talking to Milner about how Wolfman Jack broadcasts from a plane so that he can't be shut down. <laughs> and then uh, one of the pharaohs is talking about how he's in Mexico. Um, and no, and of course the leader of the pharaohs is like, no, his station's outside of town. I can drive you by it. Um, <laughs> and he's like, no, that's for the cops, man. Um, so that they, it's, it's, it's a front. And, uh, everybody's like mythologized this outlaw, um, radio, radio DJ who's playing, you know, rock and roll and like keeping it alive. And like, that's fucking awesome. I love that. Like there's a great song, uh, by ZZ Top from the seventies called Heard It on the X. Um, do you know the song? Um, mm, I'm sure I'd know if I'd have heard it's it. It's real cool. It's it's like from their you know earlier stuff, and uh, the song is about an actual radio station in Mexico called KX, um, and it would broadcast across the border into South Texas, and it oh, would cool. just play like crazy psychedelic shit, and it was some hippies who would just post it up down there because they knew that the you know FCC regulations like couldn't reach them, mm-hmm. and they cranked the uh, the the like the however you you know extend the reach of a radio antenna it was way beyond FCC regulations so this <laughs> you could catch this radio station all over the place huh. um, and yeah they like that's that's basically what Wolfman Jack feels like and I love that idea of like outlaw radio. There's something very cool about, you know, that, that like, we're going to hunker down in here. We're going to broadcast until they bomb us. Um, <laughs> you know, see also another film I love called Pump Up the Volume. Um, <laughs> I haven't seen it, but I know a lot about oh, it. Oh, you've never seen Pump Up the Volume? I don't think so. You need to watch Pump Up the Volume so we can watch it again and cover it in here, dude. Pump Up the Volume is the shit. Is it Christian Slater? Yeah, it's uh. Christian Slater. Um, <laughs> listen to a lot of uh, really dark-ass music, a lot of Leonard Cohen. Like 80s Leonard Cohen when he was super evil. Um, yeah, it's real, real cool. Uh, huh. And just sort of ranting. Um, yeah, go, go watch go watch. Pump Up the Volume, man. So having a... It's oh. a it'll make a good double feature with Risky Business, another weirdly dark teen movie. Oh, interesting. <laughs> the, the sort of radio announcer underscoring the movie as it moves along. Yeah. Like, I know I've seen that in a number of things. Is that like... Do the right thing. Yeah, do the right <laughs> thing is one. Yeah. Um, I can never remember the name of it, but the, the Warriors car movie that uh, that Tarantino loves does it, which um, Vanishing Point, yes, yeah, Vanishing Point does it, and then I mean it doesn't drive the plot or anything, but Reservoir Dogs has the yeah. the DJ bits in it, and also Warriors, yeah, yeah, it's a thing, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting enough that it's been done enough times that it's yeah. almost like a subplot, yeah sort of trope kind of thing for sure uh so after kurt um goes from being almost murdered by the pharaohs to earning uh, uh and, and to earning membership he's offered membership in the pharaohs and uh, uh, the word blood initiation is thrown around yes <laughs> um and he uh after he by the way he earns it is by ripping the back axle off of a cop car um as i mentioned um, and I like that the leader of the pharaohs seemed kind of respectful of the fact that kurt might not do it like <laughs> Because they're talking at the end of the movie, um, at the towards the end of the movie at the burger place, and when Kurt goes back to get his car, um, and I like that Kurt's like a more intellectual guy, and his car is not that cool. Mm-hmm. Um, like Steve's, you know, an insecure dickhead, so of course he drives a giant ass Bel Air. <laughs> but Kurt's a basically good dude, even though he's kind of, you know, he's he's kind of a loudmouth prick. But like that totally makes <laughs> sense for like a a kid who's like eighteen and a little bit smarter than he needs to be at mm-hmm. that age. Like his intellect is outpacing his life experience, um, and so yeah, he'd be loudmouth. And of course, he drives around this little you know VW thing. Um, <laughs> it's real like the cars are paired to the characters very well 
pretty much throughout. Um, but yeah, when the the leader, the pharaohs, he's like, I don't know. And presumably, I, th- I think at that point he has told them, like, I'm going to college tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's come close to making his decision. Um, like, the leader of the pharaohs is like, yeah, if I could go to college, I probably would. Instead of running this three-person gang. Um, I do like <laughs> earlier when he says, I know it's the dream of every young man in this town to one day <laughs> become a pharaoh. And I'm offering you that opportunity, Kurt. <laughs> it was interesting that the option of... Uh asking for help from the cops never came up yeah it's like you're leaving town tomorrow yeah like you there will be no heat on you (laughs) like you could have just gone up to those cops and been like hey these guys kidnapped me and they want me to do this um i can tell you where they are just just go get them just go get them (laughs) which kind of goes along with uh they're a gang they branded themselves (laughs) like but kind of how Blues Brothers was like, yeah. oh, it feels like they, they don't have a whole lot of uh, consideration for people who aren't them. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they definitely don't. But like in, uh, but in Blues Brothers, they are our protagonists. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, he, so he, he, you know, th- throughout the whole thing, Kurt's still pining for the blonde and the T-bird. And he gets in his car and he drives out to Wolfman Jack's station. And he goes in there, and I love how he's met with this dark silhouette telling him to walk into the back. <laughs> and it's all very mysterious. Also, I love that, like, the door to Wolf... Did you see the blue door that leads into the radio station? It's covered in lightning bolts. It looks like the airlock in a Flash Gordon movie. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. Like, he's going to an alien place. There's a very like strong feeling of, like, you're entering a place you shouldn't be when he goes in there. Um, and then a lot he, of really cool shooting in the movie in general. Yeah, like just some interesting <clears throat> shots and movements. Like even at the sock hop, there was like a rotating around the couple at half speed while the background was moving faster. Yeah, and, yeah. Mm-hmm. and gorgeous use of, as I mentioned, light. Like I love the shot at the beginning of Mel's drive-in, um, and it's just all covered in neon. Like you could blow that up to a poster. Like I want to, I want a billboard <laughs> of that. It's so pretty. Um, I was reading he uh, that Lucas shot on. Uh, he originally wanted to shoot on. Uh, Cinemascope, but then he ended up shooting on something called Technoscope, which I had never heard of before, mm. which is basically you get to shoot on 35 millimeter, but you like use half the cell, which is why it looks kind of gritty like 16 millimeter film does. Um, yeah, it's a format that I, as far as I know is dead now, but I'm, huh. I'm certainly not an expert on film formats. Um, yeah, if, if, if anybody who knows more about Technoscope than us, you know, reach out to us, uh, facebook.com slash refried reviews. Um, uh, I think most non niche film formats are having problems right now. So, yeah, yeah, yeah probably a fair true. guess. Yeah. Um, I, me personally, I want Cinerama to make a comeback. <laughs> Three projectors going at the same fucking time. Like, I, I would really, I, do you know if the dome ever like do, exhibits anything in Cinerama anymore? Because I think the dome, the Cinerama dome, is the only place where you can do it anymore. Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, I mean, I I saw a Mad 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 World, but that was probably ten years ago that they did that. Is I don't it? Know if is, they was it anymore. shot in Cinerama? I believe that's when they opened the dome. It was premiered with Mad 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 World yeah. displayed in, there's, in I, Cinerama. The only one I know is how the West was won. So, guys, the way Cinerama worked <laughs> was uh, back when TV came out and theaters were trying to find more ways to differentiate themselves. They came up with all these different formats and aspect ratios and stuff. Academy ratio, sound yeah. fancy. <laughs> yeah, it's so. Ooh. Um, so Cinerama. Was the idea was that when you're filming, you would have three cameras going, kind of arranged in a bit of a U, um, and you'd shoot everything that way on, I think, 70 millimeter, three cameras. <laughs> and then you would exhibit it on this giant ass curved screen <laughs> with three projectors. 
And you'd have a projector going that uh, would fire, like the the projector on the left would fire towards the right hand of the screen and vice versa. And you would end up with this huge image that was being projected simultaneously by three projectors. So, couple things. Um, (laughs) First off, that is super unwieldy. Like, how are you going to shoot a close-up with that? Um, (laughs) Good luck. Um, I think think How the West Was Won was shot in Cinerama. Um, mm. but yeah, like old, old film formats are weird. And this is, this was shot in one technoscope. And that's, <laughs> I, I think I, I'm glad this movie didn't get shot in like full on 35 millimeter cinema scope. I like how, I like how gritty and handmade it feels like this feels, this feels like a Sundance movie, man. Um, is a, is Wizard of Oz Technicolor? Yeah. Ah, uh, that's, yeah. that's my favorite. Do you know how that works? <laughs> no. So, uh, basically you have this giant camera where the light comes in and a prism splits it into three beams of light one per color rgb uh probably yeah and but it splits it and it films three black and white film reels each one representing the color layer oh and based on their relative brightness and then what you do is you shoot those three film reels back through filter paper and then Oh, they all hit the screen at the same time? I mean, I I think it was more they recombined it into a single image later. But for archival purposes, I guess especially then, black and white film uh, holds its quality much better than color, which fades over time. Gotcha. So this was used as like the archival method where for a long time, like Lucas and Spielberg and and people like that, they would have a Technicolor print in a locker somewhere. And that was like their pristine version. Wow. That's really cool. (laughs) Real cool. So that was my favorite having three sets of film running for one lens that splits out the color that's crazy yeah i mean it's yeah it's we we we, we we're, we're all still learning guys <laughs> yeah so that's how they get that insane color on that's, wizard of oz and stuff that's real cool um yeah so uh so kurt uh back to kurt he goes <laughs> to uh he goes into wolfman jack's uh office and there's just a dude there um, who plays a tape for him and is like, no, the Wolfman's on tape. And he's like, yeah, he sends me these tapes in. Dedications take a couple days to get on the air. Um, that's how it works. Also, he's eating popsicles the whole time because <laughs> the freezer died. He also looks like a Wolfman Jack. He does. <laughs> if I had to guess. Yeah, well, at the beginning of the scene, we're being led to believe that this is not Wolfman Jack. The guy tells us, like, <laughs> I'm not Wolfman Jack. Uh, I know him. The Wolfman comes in here and he delivers the tapes that he records and I just play the tapes. Um... And I mean, do you want a popsicle? Um, <laughs> just keeps hitting the popsicles. And he, he said he's a little annoyed that Kurt won't take one. Like, to the point that I wanted Kurt to take a popsicle just to sort of relieve the tension. Um, <laughs> that was cool. Well, the freezer was out. Yeah, he's got to eat them. <laughs> and uh, so he, uh, so Kurt's explaining, you know, uh, I need to get this dedication on for the girl and the, for the blonde and the white T-bird. You can't play it tomorrow because um, I'm going to be gone tomorrow. It's got to be tonight. I've got to meet her tonight. And, um, you know, I'm not sure if I'm going. And then basically Wolfman Jack says, you know, the Wolfman comes in here and he tells me all these stories about all the places he's been. Uh, it's a big world out there. You got to get out there. And that's the story as you got to go. And so Kurt's like, yeah, I guess I will. Cause the Wolfman said so. He's like, and then the guy says, you know, I'll try and get this on. And as Kurt's leaving, he turns around and through the open door, he can see that the guy is talking into the microphone and is clearly Wolfman Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, and holy shit, I was just talking to Wolfman Jack. How cool is that? <laughs> um, and yes, he does look like a Wolfman Jack. I've done everything that's in my hometown. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he 100% in Modesto, California. Um, achievement unlocked. Rest of the world. 
so yeah he uh then he he heads on out um and then the the drag race scene that we talked about happens where uh you know milner and uh, and falfa race and falfa crashes um pretty quickly yep yeah, well, everything, it's a race, so, you know, they're fast. Um, well, I meant, you know, after a short amount of time. Yeah, yeah. Not not quite out the gate, but close. Um, and Milner's sad because he's like, the guy had me. And, like, I I mean, you know, you, we have the film. Like, he didn't have him. But Milner's just like, he's gun-shy now because he knows that someday someone's going to come along and take this from him because nothing gold can stay because Kurt has to go to the East Coast. Um, <laughs> and then they all see Kurt, Kurt off on the airport. Uh, and the Oh, yeah, I forgot. He does get a phone call because he waits outside the payphone. And he gets a call from the blonde, and she won't tell him her name. Um, and she just says goodbye. Um, and I think, like, I guess the blonde is, like, him searching for the blonde is him, is, like, him trying to hang on to, like, the things he has in his hometown. Is that, like, what's going on there? Because the blonde also feels like an unknown treasure. Like, it's weird that something that's unfamiliar to him that's unknown symbolizes the familiarity of his home, you know? Well, I think the... I could be misreading it, though. Well, I think the question of who she is and it's like she knows him but he doesn't know who she is i think it sort of symbolizes maybe the idea of just his fear of leaving home of like what if what he needs is there yeah 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 makes sense and then when he's when he's flying off in the plane he looks down and on the road he sees the white thunderbird Mm -hmm. and then he flies off and then we get four cards saying what happened to our four male characters (laughs) because the women don't matter sure uh the other writers wanted to include cards for the women for at least for debbie and Lori, um and carol uh but uh lucas lucas is like the props why lucas said it would lengthen the film I can't argue with him. (laughs) I mean, technically, he is technically (laughs) correct, which is the best kind of correct. Um, But yeah, like, no, like, I want to know what happens. I want to know what happens to Carol more than anything, because Mm -hmm. like, that is exact, like that at 14, riding around with that dude and like him taking her to that junkyard and talking to her about cars and like just kind of broing out with her. Like, I love that story so much. And the two of them like forming this unlikely bond where like Milner kind of lets his guard down and lets himself have some fun and like be, you know, a little bit of a kid because he is only 17. Mm-hmm. Um, you know. So, you know, it, it's it's it it's so cool. I it, I mean, what did you think? Of the four, what did you think was the strongest story? Uh, I mean, I probably enjoyed that one the most. Mm-hmm. Um Yeah, I mean, the I, I was a little bit on the same page with you about um not Curtis is Steve who's Steve, Steve uh, and Lori. Where sort of I thought it was, I didn't know whether it was about uh, social norms being different at the time. I didn't know if he was a dick character, or I didn't yeah. know if he was supposed to be a teenage boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And sort of displaying the shortcomings of that. Yeah. My read is B and C. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, social norms to some degree, yeah. But, like, I don't think we're well, supposed I mean, to I, like him. Yeah, I, I, I assume you weren't supposed to. <laughs> Just come right out and say, yeah, <laughs> that it'll strengthen the relationship to date other people. Yeah, <laughs> ooh, you fucking dickhole. <laughs> but sort of how it treated women entirely of just sort of the how much thought is put into what you say to them in general. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's true. So um, to wrap up here, um, like, what do you think of the the alternate George Lucas? Because I mean, this is obviously a guy who's, you know, a al- almost like a little bit uh 
I mean, he's like a Sundance filmmaker, like mm-hmm. 30 years beforehand. That's, I mean, that's what this feels like to me is an early 90s indie film. Like, this movie has a lot in common with like clerks and shit yeah. like that. Like, what, um, first off, like, what, what did you think of the movie overall? And secondly, like, what do you think of the alternate George Lucas? Like, imagine with me another universe where like Star Wars <laughs> never happened to him and he just kept making these things. I mean, I, I hate to, you know, continuously <laughs> uh, get on his back about the prequels with everyone else. But I, one of the biggest things that occurred to me is we touched upon how many good visual gags there are and yeah. like subtle dialogue and quick jabs and like the story is on the screen but not necessarily spelled out for you and you only half need to know anyway. Yeah. And it seems like all that finesse is sort of gone. Yeah, yeah. He so. unlearned a lot of lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Star Wars really broke this guy. Like, yeah. And it makes me sad because I think by a lot, actually, this is Lucas's best film. Mm-hmm. I think Star Wars is uh, a great achievement. It's a more important film than American Graffiti, arguably. Mm-hmm. Um but this is a, I thought you were going to say it was more important than it is good, which uh, is my view of THX. Oh, really? Yeah. I've never seen THX. It's it's yeah. it's important. I've heard it's, it's I've slow. heard it's pretty shitty. It's slow. Yeah, I'm not interested in it. Yeah. Um yeah, I I I mean, Star Wars is definitely good and there's a whole lot of cool stuff going on there. Um obviously, it's fucking Star Wars. It's great. <laughs> but I think this is a better movie than Star Wars. What do you think? Um, I mean, I, I do think that it's like taken as a standalone, I mm-hmm. think you're right. Like s- sort of the, some of the things I'm thinking of and the funny little moments that don't strike me as being like George Lucas yeah. is the, when they, um, the Pharaoh leader yeah. is like creeping up behind the police car yeah, and then Kurt is just, you know, sauntering up <laughs> in full view yeah, and, you know, before he grabs him by the collar and yanks him down. Yeah. Um, or, or did you say blood initiation? <laughs> Yeah, like um, a lot of that that sort of subtlety, I think, makes it feel like the most organic thing he's ever done. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's what I'm responding to. Um, I I love that. It's just it just crackles, you know. And I think a big part of that is how the movie was made. Mm-hmm. Um, which I I love scrappy little indie movie stories. Um, you know, I mean, my one of, one of my favorite movies is as I've probably said on here before is Halloween, and I love how Halloween was made almost as much as I love Halloween. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, any story about some people just kind of going out there and like cranking the thing out and making it work and not quite knowing what they're doing, but making something magical happen by trusting like these moments they're given. I love that, and I think that a really like amazing, unique kind of film like results from that. The other side of the spectrum is great too. I mean, the the you know your two thousand ones and your shinings and everything; those are amazing. <laughs> mm-hmm. They're very much not made that way. This feels like more of a time capsule, <clears throat> yeah, of sort of uh, the tone of the the people at the time and the filmmaking of the time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's as much a it's as much a time capsule of nineteen seventy three as it is nineteen sixty two. Um, which is really interesting. I, I don't. I wouldn't want to give up Star Wars to get more movies from this George Lucas. But I am really sad we didn't get more movies from this George Lucas. He was up to direct Apocalypse Now, you know. Oh, really? Yeah, that oh. was that was. Uh, he was he was in the running for it before Coppola got it. Um, and they might have even offered it to him. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, like that's. That is a real big loss to filmmaking that like the guy who made this isn't going to make more. But like so many people picked this up and, and, you know, ran with it. 
Um, I mean, this clearly yeah, influenced a generation. <laughs> yeah, like, and it's and we like I said, we talk about all those movies way more. So yeah, if you're if you're around our age or younger, and you like Dazed and Confused, and you like Superbad, and you like uh, you know those crazy nights with teenagers movies, you owe it to yourself to go watch American <laughs> Graffiti because it is the it's the first of that, and it's great. Um, totally holds up. It's awesome. Um, so my final analysis is it's absolutely rewatchable. I might buy the Blu-ray because I, I could see myself like sick on the couch and just <laughs> wanting to pop this in because these are fun people to spend time with and like the 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 joy of the movie. Like I keep thinking even now I'm thinking about that moment of Milner and Carol running around that car and pranking them and it just being <laughs> so like I it it makes me almost want to cry. It's so like in the moment you know mm-hmm. uh, it's it's an amazing moment um I, I love it so much do you know if there are like features or anything it sounds like the backstory is interesting like in terms of buying the blu-ray i don't know i hope so i mean, i really would love to sit down with george lucas and talk to him about this movie mm-hmm. like and i'd imagine he'd really like to because he wouldn't have to talk about star wars <laughs> yeah really um like what if you sat down and said george like let can i talk to you for an hour about american graffiti um because i think it's the best movie you ever made <laughs> um like it's oh it's so good it's so, what do you think is it is it rewatchable did you love it as much as I did did you um, I mean I think I I threw out a lot of ideas uh, sort of surrounding this but I didn't explicitly mention it yeah just that one thing that I noticed was because it's a movie of made in the seventies looking back at the sixties yeah you mentioned that yeah I I felt like when we when we talked about Vertigo yeah it's sort of that line between. <clears throat> I'm not sure if they're making a statement here or if this is what's normal here. Yeah. And I mean, obviously you can tell what's, what's intentionally a joke and what's not, Yeah, but there is sort of a lot of stuff of like, was this the tone of the seventies? Is this the tone of the sixties that the seventies was making fun of? Like there was, uh, I spent a lot of time sort of wondering where this stood in terms of, uh, I don't know, I guess the real activity of people the age and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah. And I was wondering how much was sort of lost on me just from not being familiar enough to being able to pick up the differences. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the time capsule nature of the film. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I kind of... I kind of wrote a lot of that off as just the gender politics of that time, mm-hmm. you know, especially given that, like, George Lucas's stated intent was to, excuse me, capture the, the energy of his youth... Um, I mean, also maybe George Lucas hates women. I don't know. Um, I don't know the guy. He might, he might, you know, be a feminist crusader. He might be a huge misogynist asshole. Well, I just thought it was sort of a fascinating look at shifting social norms when the movie can feel super quaint with people talking about a sock hop, not ironically. Yeah. And then moments later have a 13 year old with a high school senior joking about rape. Yeah. Yeah. And like played as a laugh, like yeah. not as a weird thing. Well, I think it's it's shocking again because of how sanitized portrayals of the fifties usually are. That's true. Like sex doesn't exist to them. <laughs> so seeing like an R-rated fifties is like what? I mean, even in uh, Back to the Future, like the fifties is you know there's clearly sex, but it's like a little bit more jokey and a little bit more playful mm-hmm. um, and a little bit more goofy. And this is like like Carol and Milner's story is not. I mean, it's. It's funny, but, like, they're not the joke. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like, they're just people, and mm-hmm. we're spending time with these very real-feeling people, and that's part of what's so exciting to me about this movie is how 
how it how familiar it feels to other portrayals of the 50s and 60s we've seen because you know we call this it's 1962 but it's basically the 50s sure um you get the feeling that like the 60s just hadn't made it out here also it's 1962 (laughs) so nothing's really going on it's just president kennedy um and like it's it's familiar because it's got those archetypes like the sock hop and stuff which like you know those weren't made up whole cloth like they existed Mm -hmm. um but it feels like you know, I've always been a little bit suspicious of how the 50s were portrayed in that sanitized way. And just like, obviously, it wasn't like that. Like, you know, my dad loves to talk about how, you know, much greater, how much he loved, you know, growing up and how people trusted each other. And like his version of the 50s and 60s that exists in his brain is very much the happy days kind, I think. Mm-hmm. It's very Norman Rockwell. It's very just like everyone was nicer. Everyone was more trusting. Um, <laughs> very appropriately titled Whitewashed. Yes. <laughs> and uh, And I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. Um, for even a second. Um, I mean, I love my dad. He's a great guy, but like he's, he's, I don't, and I don't think he's like being willfully deceit, deceitful or anything. I just think he's idealized the past. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is what it was. This feels much more authentic. Um, that's all. I, that was a very long winded way of saying it feels authentic. Um, Yeah. And I think that that might be what you're responding to is like, of course, guys force themselves upon girls sometimes. Of course, 13 and 14 year old girls knew what rape was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, of course, you know, Steve would be a dickhead in that way because, you know, the gender politics weren't going to go away of the time. Um, I, I, I Part of it is that I find it fascinating what seems not taboo at all to bring up then yeah. and how that it. It feels like things are so much more sexualized now and stuff yeah. like that, but that it really is a lot of independently shifting factors of like, mm. there's some things they could never get away with saying as a teen movie now, but they would be dressed way sexier than in that movie. So I think it's That's interesting, really sort interesting. Of like yeah. the map of social norms is not like a line yeah. that's shifting left I or mean, right. I mean, imagine if, if Emma Stone in Superbad said to, like, you know, McLovin, like, I'm going to tell people you tried to rape me. <laughs> right. Like, if you, if, you, if you don't let me hang out with you. Like, <laughs> what? No. Like, that would never happen. Um, so, yeah. I mean, that, and that... I mean, if we want to get real, like, you know, sociology about it, like, (laughs) the idea of Carol using that as her form of power makes total sense in a world where, uh, you know, patriarchy reigns and, you know, women, the threat of sexual violence is, casual sexual violence is really real. Like, you know, threatening that is one of the only forms of power she would have access to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, she'd do that. Um, And Emma Stone's character in Superbad wouldn't need to do that nearly as much. Not that sexual violence isn't a reality now. Um, because she's, you know, living in a post, uh, you know, women's liberation world where she's a lot more empowered than a car- than a girl in 1962 would have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, she also would probably show more cleavage. <laughs> um, it's, it's interesting. You're right. Like, cause it's not like in 1967, a switch flipped, you know, yeah. like all these different things shifted. Um, and you know, like, I think this movie does a good job of, of portraying sexuality, um, because this movie is very concerned with sex mm-hmm. um, in an accurate way and also in a way that reflects how that sexuality would be processed in the culture of the time. Um, it's cool. It's it's a great movie. It's just great. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, uh, what's your verdict? Rewatchable? Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. It was definitely worth seeing and just sort of, as you already said, if you enjoy anything that's sort of single night movie or ragtag group of friends movie, like odds are it took a whole lot from this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Um, it's, it's a real unsung Genesis point, interestingly. I mean, granted, like, it makes, like, AFI's top 100 movies of all time uh, <laughs> a lot. But, like, it's just people just don't talk about American Graffiti that much. I mean, do you find that? Is, are, are people just, is everybody hanging out without me and talking about it or what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'd agree. I mean, I think it had been so many years since I'd seen it because people don't talk about it as commonly as other things. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, so, yeah, rewatch it. Um, it's great. And uh, you're 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 gonna love it. Um, so yeah, what are we what are we watching next time? So um, we took a, a slight Star Wars detour. I guess we could yeah. call the Millennium Falcon like sort of the car culture. Yeah. of that one. It's a car. Shut up. Uh-huh. <laughs> Even with the Harrison Ford bridge. Yeah, which I guess that's that's another reason to watch American Graffiti is there's no other Harrison Ford role that I've found quite like that. Yeah, dude. That's <laughs> wow. Um, just weird. Uh, just a, and also he refused to. He was George Lucas wanted him to cut his hair, and he refused, and that's why he's wearing that stupid hat the whole time. Oh, really? Yeah, he's wearing a <laughs> big stupid hat. That's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um, but uh, we've been on sort of a little mini car suite in the past yeah. few episodes, which I believe started with Fury Road. It did. So this is your doing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought as a fun bookend to take us out of the car suite. Uh, I've been trying to push for Locke for a little while, which yeah. was an independent little British movie. Yeah, which I haven't seen, so I'm going to have to double up on this one. Yeah, 85 minutes hopefully won't be too bad. Yeah, yeah I'm, I haven't forgotten the fountain. <laughs> I have not forgotten the fountain. Nobody has. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be, and, uh, on episode 500, I'm still going to be throwing <laughs> that shit in your face. But yes, that is a bad um, movie. <laughs> that is Mad Max behind the wheel for the entire movie on... Uh, emotional conference calls with people while sort of stuck in traffic gotcha so (laughs) So the whole movie is is tom hardy driving to a place it could be a one-act play like with the sound of phone calls piped in like it does not leave the cabin of the car wow yeah cool um (laughs) exciting uh i can't wait to watch it two times hooray Um, I'm going to give you so much shit if I don't like that movie. God, you don't even know. Uh, it's going to be great. All right, guys. Uh, that's it for this time around. Um, we'll uh, We'll see you next time. Thanks.